Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience, my name is Maurice Selby. My name is Reed. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem, and the Health in Harlem podcast featured on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, you name it. We're pretty much on it these days, ladies and gentlemen. And I welcome you to Milk Madness Part 2. Um, as promised, ladies and gentlemen, we did not just want to give you part of the story regarding mm-hmm. uh, which milk to drink, but we are going to really delve in um, as far as, you know, what what is really the deal with all of the milk in the milk aisle. It drives me crazy. has been for the last few years, probably getting worse. And that's what we're trying to um, sort out in this two-part series. So yeah, man, how do you feel about uh, last week as far as um, your, I don't know, milk consumption practices? You know, my, uh, I feel like I learned a lot in terms of how good milk can be because I feel like in preparation for the show, I was kind of focusing on the alt milk side. Um, and that kind of, that side tends to kind of look at dairy milk as evil and and bad for you and full of hormones and all this, this terrible stuff. Um, but actually it's, it's really, you know, a great source of nutrition, uh, for a lot of people all over the world. So, yeah, I feel like I kind of took that away from, from last week's show. That's pretty much my take as well, Reed, because I mean, I, I agree. I went into the sort of conversation with the same sort of belief. Um, and I think this is something that has been really, successfully done from a marketing standpoint we talk about uh these mm-hmm. non-dairy milks man it was like looking at you know dairy milks as sort of an evil substance with all of the you know fat laden you know cal- calorically dense and just not a nutritious you know por- portion of a, a healthy diet or a healthy lifestyle if you will uh, but I mean, it really forced me to reconsider man I'm like man and now am I missing maybe that crucial element to my diet as far as, you know, calorie intake, um, especially as you know, I've been trying to do this thousand mile thing for the year. So I've been on my game, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. from the new year's resolutions, um, definitely still on the, on, on pace, you know, trying to hit that thousand mile mark for running. Uh, but one thing I've noticed, man, I'm hungry as hell, like all the time. And, you know, as far as the amount of calories I'm burning and stuff, I'm like, I Maurice Donovan, so we really cannot afford to lose too much weight. <laughs> so I'm like, damn, maybe I'm missing it in terms of milk. Cause I, you know, right now, just from a, a standpoint of the preference in the household, we've really like latched on to oat milk. Um, I think that's one thing uh, that we've seen sort of the popularity of oat milk taken off, but that's what we've been drinking in my household. I would even say probably, you know, since COVID started, I can't remember. I could probably count on maybe two hands the amount of times that we've bought dairy milk mm-hmm. um in that time like literally can count the number of times like if i go back and look at the receipts it has not been a lot over the last couple of years and i don't know it's something i might have to bring back you know based on uh, so what we talked about last week and then also 
sort of getting into, you know, all of these, these alternative milks. Definitely. So that's one thing, actually, I, I think is a, a problematic term, term because I came across this in research and this is a, a alt milk term. And I was like, alt milk? Like, <laughs> this is an actual term that some commentators and even experts are using to describe plant-based milk products out there. Um, I really just don't like this term because I can't even explain why. Honestly, not to politicize things, but, you know, in terms of alt milk... I mean, alt facts, alt right. Maybe it's guilt by association. It's in bad company. Um, I know. I'm sorry. Put my politics out there, y'all. And this is not the opinion of my colleagues, WHCR or uh, Health in Harlem. But I mean, we couldn't think of another name for this. But then again, maybe it's accurate <laughs> because you know, as good as some of these other milks are, milks, quote unquote. Uh, they are, I think that's what really we were getting that read is that they're not a replacement for dairy milk. Um, at least when we look at dairy milk as, as a one-stop shop superfood, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I kind of think about alt milks from like a, a music standpoint, you know, like you got your pop music, which is your dairy milk. It's sweet. Everybody likes it. But, you know, big industry is behind it. And then you've got mm. your alternative milk, which is, you know, alternative music. It's a little grungy. It's a little edgy. Uh, <laughs> that's how I think about it. I like it. I'm not going to, I'm not going front, man. I feel like the ultimate hipster, especially when like oat milk first, you know, came on the scene or at least became popular. And I was the man walking in like, yo, man, let me get that latte with oat milk. And people look at me like, oat milk. Like, yes, oat milk. Um, so, yeah, I guess it is, man. I was like the edginess, the hipsterish, you know, especially living in Brooklyn and the amount of coffee houses in Brooklyn. Um, that is that's maybe part of the appeal. You know, I think and, and looking at the popularity of plant based milks, you know, we really can't overstate it. It accounts for nearly 10 percent of the overall milk market, grew approximately 5 percent in 2020. And at that time was approaching two billion dollars in actual sales or right, annual sales. In the U.S., um, almond milk accounts for two-thirds of the market in sales, followed by oat milk and in soy milk. And globally, believe it or not, soy milk is the most popular. Uh, Coconut-based milk right, is also very popular and is one of the fastest-growing plant-based milks, um, along with oat milk. And while this explosion in popularity right, seems to be a pretty recent trend, the concept of extracting quote unquote, milk-like fluid from plant sources is not new. Milk from soybeans has long a long history in China where some of the first records of such beverages being consumed, you know, date back to as early as 1365 AD. There was a soy milk factory, factory established outside Paris in 1910. And really we saw the popularity sort of taken off in the 1970s and 80s due to increasing awareness of lactose intolerance. And today plant-based milks are widely available, right? And made not only from soybeans, but many other nuts, grains, legumes, um, including things like hemp and coconut. And so, I mean, the, the industry, I think we've all seen the rise, right? It used to be what we would walk in the dairy aisle and we would see, you know, you had your whole milk, you had skim milk, maybe a low fat alternative. That was it. Now, like, entire wall <laughs> more than an yeah. entire wall you know of just milk and milk like products so well i feel like i don't know man i'm glad we're tackling this because yeah, yeah exactly exactly there's, uh, it's there's like the refrigerated section and then over by like the coffee and tea there's the shelf stable section that comes in like the boxes facts facts uh so yeah yeah that's true i didn't even think about that all of the condensed milks and uh, canned milks, like all of these different products out there. And how do we make the decision on which to consume? Um, especially when we talk about, you know, doing so to support, um, health and wellness. Um, I think that's a, a critical question. I'm glad we're delving into it. Um, because yeah, man, it's confusing and I want to do the right thing for myself. I want to do the right thing for my family. Um, I don't know if it's going to be back to dairy milk. 
or if we're exclusively on the milk alternatives, especially oat milk, because my daughters love the <laughs> love the stuff, or maybe a hybrid. I don't know, but um, that's something that we are trying to sort out. So let's talk about hotties and met because this is something I couldn't get over at first. You know, especially these younger um, males. Like, how the heck are we milking nuts? I remember seeing for the first time like almond <laughs> milk or something. I was like, what? Like, who does that or how? Um, but basically. There are two main approaches to producing plant-based milks. Uh, they are wet and dry. Wet basically involves soaking and then grinding whatever nuts, legume, or grain you are turning into a milk. And this involves very large volumes of water, takes place over periods as long as 12 hours where they're soaking in the nuts. Um, in some, some instances, they actually use enzymes that are added to hydrolyze uh, the components as they are breaking down and then we have this intense grinding um, and literally the extraction of the fluids that are produced from this process um, to form the milk that we drink or the milk alternative that we drink um, whether it's almond milk oat milk um, and some of the other milks that are out there dry methods usually entail taking raw materials that are milled into a flour or powder, which is then processed to separate the starches, proteins, and fiber as desired before being rehydrated. And this can contain higher protein contents um, when we talk about the finished products, right, that, are, that arise from the dry process when compared to the wet process, which um, a lot of that protein is taken out in that sort of wet process or um, wet manufacturing methods. And so that's it. I mean, that's how they are made. And it was always a conundrum for me, but now it makes, <laughs> somewhat makes sense. Um, but at least in terms of, and we've talked about this on, on health in Harlem, um, you know, when you went over the American Heart Association um, sort of recent guidelines, right, and talk in, in terms of healthy eating patterns. And one of the things that I remember us talking about was, right, less processed foods, that was one of the sort of general rules, right, for that program um, among the, you know, less salty meals, less salts in our food and, you know, trying to consume more um, fruits and vegetables, more whole foods. Um, one of those general recommendations was less processed food. And I think in terms of what we've talked about up to this point, as far as the marketing of these products, right, these uh, plant based milks. Um, I think a lot of us see it as sort of, oh, this is a natural way of, you know, consuming milk um, or these naturally made beverages. But there's a lot of processing going on. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's something we got to keep in our minds as we go forward in this program is that, uh, yeah, man, it's it's one of those things we got to take into account when we talk about um, how healthy this stuff actually is for our bodies. Right. Um, I mean, we look at plant-based meats and that's another, you know, sort of category um, mm -hmm. separate from this. However, you know, plant-based meats, it sounds like it's healthy, but we talk about the processing. I mean, there's some uh, information, some data coming out that that might not be the best thing for our bodies because of yeah. the amount of processing taking place, the additives going in, you know, salts, especially fats being added and how that can impact our health when we consume these things, especially in large amounts. Um, yeah, man, this is something that was eye opening for me, like how much processing is involved in extracting or quote unquote milking nuts. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, although counter argument, uh, it's really not that different from the processing that dairy milk goes through the, the homogenization, which is essentially just a giant blender that's getting everything all mixed up. That's essentially what's happening when the, the, the nuts or whatever is being ground during the process. It's being the only difference essentially is that at the end of it, you're straining out the, the solid particles left for the alternative milks versus obviously there's no solid particles left with dairy milk. Um, and then of course it goes through pasteurization, nutrient fortification, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'd say, yes, they're both quite processed. But dairy milk, I feel like on its own, it's also pretty processed. So they might be mm. comparably processed. Where we see that processing effect kicking in that you're mentioning, 
is with the the health profile of skim milk or something like that because even though it has less fat it's been shown to be less healthy mm. yes and especially when we talk about right some of the components that are taking out during that processing um i mean when we talk about the benefits and this is what i think we right started the program going back to last week man just the nutrient density when we talk about milk um and its consumption for you know, boosting nutrition, especially when we talk about places that have nutrition challenges, right? Food challenges, access to, to healthy foods, um, or, or things that are, or sort of rich in calories. Um, when we put it through processing, such as the production of skim milk, yeah, you, you skim in addition to the fat, there's some other things that are skimmed off of that, um, including some valuable nutrients that can support, you know, healthy nutrition. And so, yeah, man, it, it's just one of those things, I think, really to just be aware. I'm uh, <clears throat> glad you brought it up, Reed, in terms of just really comparing both, right? They are both sort of processed foods. And that's the thing is that we have to, I think, take into account um, not only the fact that both are processed, but within the individual categories, dairy milk and plant-based milks, um, looking at the individual products. And that's one thing I think going forward we have to understand is that, you know, various manufacturers do this in different ways, right? There are different additives that are used. Mm -hmm. There are different ways in which these products are processed, and that can lead to how how healthy they can be for us. And I think really being mindful of that sort of where these products are coming from can be important in terms of, you know, whether or not we should be consuming them and how they, they will impact our health. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think let's get into sort of the, the subcategories of these, of these, uh, plant milks and stuff. Um, so obviously we've already mentioned these, any plant milk, no matter what it's made from, can't really touch the nutrient profile of dairy milk. Dairy milk is kind of the Holy grail in terms of nutrition when it comes to milks. Um, but it can be healthier in some ways. Well, one being free of lactose, but it's all they can also be lower in saturated fat and cholesterol than non-skimmed milk. So knowing the nutrient content of each type of alternative milk can help you choose one that is fit for your purposes. So I guess there's kind of these milks can be made from anything, but there's kind of a couple different subcategories, right? You have your nuts, which are almonds, cashews, macadamias, etc. Um, those are pretty high in monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. They have lots of vitamins and minerals, and they can have a, a fair amount of protein, though uh, most commercial milk made from these nuts is pretty low in protein. Then you've got your grains, which is your oats, rice, mm. uh, that kind of stuff. Um, and those milks tend to be rich and creamy, in part due to the presence of starches, um, and they're also typically supplemented with a small amount of vegetable oil. Uh, and these Hold on, you stop. Also, contain I, you, you got me at rich and creamy, man. Oh my god! Uh, not I'm, <laughs> I'm not a marketing specialist, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I'm I am not. But I will tell you, um, my bias is towards oat milk. It is rich and creamy. I could definitely. <laughs> I think my daughter's can testify to that. And then when you go that. back, when you go back to the other milks, it almost tastes like water. You know, you're just like, ah, oh, I miss that. Facts. Um, oh my goodness. We're not yeah, selling oat milk, ladies and gentlemen, contain... but these are facts. <laughs> these are facts. Relative facts. So those milks also contain, uh, yeah, true, relative facts. <laughs> um, but th those milks are also pretty high in soluble fiber, which is pretty good for your digestion. Um, but when it comes to rice milk, it's pretty pretty low nutritionally. Rice milk is one of the worst nutritionally, even though it may be rich and creamy. Um, and then another subcategory, you have your seeds, which is, I'd say the most common are probably hemp and flax seed. Um, and flax milk is pretty high in omega-3 fatty acids, and hemp milk contains slightly more protein than most other alternative milks. So those are pretty good options as well, although they may not be mm. as rich and creamy. And then finally, our own subcategory on its own, soy milk. Uh, soy wins for protein content out of all the al alternative milks. 
And even though it's pretty low nutritionally in other aspects, it is often fortified with other vitamins and minerals. Um, and the reason that soy isn't so popular anymore is because there uh, were sort of speculations about the president, the, the presence of these things called phytoestrogens, um, which people believed may be associated with increased risk of breast cancer. Um, but since then, a mm -hmm. 2014 meta-analysis suggested that there is no increased risk of breast cancer, and soy intake actually lowered the risk of breast cancer in pre- and post-menopausal women in Asian countries, but had no effect in Western countries. Mm. So I think taking all of this into account, right, because I think still it comes down to which milk is best. And I think mm -hmm. we've kind of alluded to at least what I think the answer is um, to that question is there is no answer. Or actually, we could even just say it's relative, right? It really comes down to, yeah. I think, what your goals are um, from a nutrition standpoint, sort of what else is going on? What else are you consuming in your life? And actually, in our review, right, when we talked about the dairy milks, um, there was... Um, sort of in, in one of the, our main sources said, right, this was a sort of a review of milk, dairy milk, and its nutrition profile. Um, and one of the things, this, this was in the New England Journal of Medicine, where it said, hey, you have to take into account other things you are consuming, right, when we talk about um, sort of the impact of milk um, on health, especially when we talk about cardiovascular outcomes, um, things of that nature. It's not just that, hey, whole milk with its saturated fats is going to give you a heart attack. Um, it is whole milk, right, with its saturated fats in conjunction with you eating a burger um, every day and greasy fries mm -hmm. and other sources of saturated fats. Now you might have an impact. But if you are drinking whole milk to supplement, you know, a diet um, from a caloric standpoint, so for instance, more will be going for this thousand miles and burning 1200 calories a day and he wants to maintain a you know pretty steady body weight well then maybe adding um some milk right some uh dairy milk to my diet even whole milk with the caloric density and the protein um and all the other nutrients in it that might be something i might have to do for my goals right in terms of uh, my physical activity and nutritional goals um, and it might be different for somebody else, right? Somebody that wants less calories, um, maybe they might want to turn to one of these plant-based alternatives um, that might not be as calorically dense. Uh, maybe it is spared of some of these saturated fats um, because, you know, maybe they're getting, and, it, it, and again, right, some of these are vital components of a healthy diet, right, ladies and gentlemen. So um, we, we want to not just demonize um, saturated fats, but saturated and especially unsaturated fats are part of a, a healthy diet. So a person that is trying to incorporate unsaturated fats, maybe these plant-based alternatives, right? Um, some of those nice omega-3 fatty acids, um, mm -hmm. you know, that might be, uh, or, or, or what were you saying? Uh, maybe, maybe hemp milk, right? That might be an alternative for a person like that that doesn't want to eat fish oil or something like that. <laughs> I'd much rather drink some hemp milk, I think, than, you know, taking a fish oil supplement for those omega-3s. That's just me, though. Yeah. And I, I like how you so what pointed about you? out sort of... Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I like how you pointed out sort of the the components in a healthy diet, right? And dairy is only one of that component. So it also depends on what other components you have in your diet. Maybe you don't... Maybe you have an allergy to, to shellfish and fish, and so you're not getting your omega-3s from those kinds of, of sources, maybe then um, hemp and flax milk would be a good option for you because it has those omega-3s. Um, chances are you're probably supplementing your diet with omega-3 pills or something like that. Um, but really, yeah, just what think about what you're missing in your diet, right? So th those might be a good choice if you're missing fish. Um, mm -hmm. Nut milks might be a good a good choice if you're missing some of those monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Um, I'd say soy probably wins if you're going for the closest thing to dairy um, in terms of protein content. Mm -hmm. And 
like I said before, it's, it's other profile in terms of vitamins and minerals is pretty low, but almost all soy milk that you find at the supermarket is going to be fortified with it to get it close to what dairy milk has. So I'd say that's probably the closest if you want that from a nutrition standpoint in terms of protein, vitamins, minerals, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of different options for a lot of different people out there. And it really depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking for the tastiest? Are you looking for the creamiest? Are you looking for mm -hmm. the cheapest too? These are all things that we haven't even touched on yet um, when we're just talking about nutrition. Facts. And, and I can tell you from our family standpoint, um, and our choice of oat milk, right? Like we already, I think <laughs> I'm not a salesman, but I guess I am the way that we sort of harped on that rich and creaminess of, <laughs> of the oat milk. I don't know, man, <laughs> this stuff is delicious. But anyway, um, the, like, right. And talking about it from with my, my daughters, right. And, you know, my wife and I very, um, aware of you know, nutritional challenges with children, especially overnutrition, if you will, and child obesity. We've seen recent recommendation coming from our high, right, being more aggressive in treating that because of how serious a problem it is mm -hmm. and what it portends for the future of children as they grow and develop into the adults, right, and the health outcomes. Um, and so, right, taking all of that into consideration as a parent and why I say, hey, oat milk might be the way to go um, because, you know, with my daughters and the way that they eat, they are getting a lot of other nutrition from other foods, right? Um, other things that they consume and eat throughout the day. Um, so giving them a glass of milk as calorically dense it is um, with the fats and stuff, you know, my wife and I feel we can spare them that because they are getting those things at other points in their diet, right? In the foods that they consume. Um, and so that's kind of where our decision rests as far as why that is our choice. Um, and also partially just because that they drink, <laughs> you know, as far as children, I think parents out there can probably relate that are listening to this as far as how finicky children can be. Um, and so that, you know, in terms of them getting something mm -hmm. that tastes good to them, um, you know, they're, they're consuming it, but also they get some of the benefits of that. Um, as we said, one from the less calorie standpoint, especially when we choose some of those lower fat alternatives of the oat milk for us. Um, but then also the fiber, right? Because that's a challenge that I think parents deal with. I know it's a, a challenge, um, like as one point where, uh, <laughs> my youngest daughter would not eat anything green. Um, and so getting fiber into her diet was a challenge. So oat milk, right. For us. And I'm saying that, right. This is what we do as our family and the reason behind our, our choice, as far as, um, you know, the, the milk that we choose to it's our daughters it's because hell this is another way to get fiber in their diet right and and it's not a, something that they'll they'll actually um drink um and consume with other foods but it gives them some other things that we think they need in their, their diet and so that's i think the really the way that we need to make these decisions so for those that probably tuned in thinking yo they're going to tell me exactly what milk to drink uh on health in harlem i'm <laughs> sorry sorry if we disappointed because but I'm hoping that we can get the information out there for you to make that decision. And it really boils down mm -hmm. to looking at each of these products um, in and of itself, and then looking at your goals as far as your health outcomes, what else you're doing, you know, sort of in your life um, in order to make that decision. And I will add, as we are always proponent health in our own right, this is something I think a conversation to have with whomever is providing your regular healthcare services, whether it's your primary care physician, um, if you have access to a nutritionist or a dietitian, that's probably even better because they might be, I would mm. imagine they are way better versed when it comes to talking about um, these topics. Um, and so I would, I would encourage you um, not only if, to make this decision yourself, but if it came to it and you felt you needed some more guidance or uh, information, those would be excellent sources to to tap into uh, um, if you can. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think is really the best recommendation we can give on this program, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, now I know how much you love oat milk and I don't want to spoil that for you, but have you ever tried homemade oat milk? 
No, I have not. I didn't know you can do that, actually. I was yeah, giving it up so to the manufacturers, we to big business, and take care of that for me. <laughs> <laughs> we went over the process earlier. Um, and if you're making your own alternative milks at home, it's essentially the same thing. Oftentimes, you want to soak it tw up to 12 hours in advance, especially harder things like almonds, just to soften it up with water, obviously. And then you blend it. And then from there, you strain it. You strain out the solid particles, and then you have your alternative milk, right? So if you take oats and you do that, take that, take a sip of that oat milk next to, you know, that oat milk you're buying in the store, it does not taste the same. The oat milk you're buying in the store, it's subtly sweet, just like dairy milk is. It's nice and creamy. And with that homemade oat milk, it's not very sweet. It's a little starchy. It's, uh, it's a little watery. It's not bad but it's not what you're used to, right? And so how, how is that different? You know, what, where is that difference coming from? Because um, if you look at the back of the Oatly label, I'll just read the ingredients to you. It's not a super long list. It says ingredients, oat milk, parentheses, water and oats. And then from there, it contains 2% or less of low uric acid rapeseed oil, which is essentially vegetable oil, um, dipotassium phosphate, calcium carbonate, tricalcium phosphate, sea salt, dicalcium phosphate, riboflavin, vitamin A, vitamin D2, vitamin B12. So essentially what it is, mostly from the ingredients list, what I'm getting from this is that it's oat milk. It's oats soaked in water, blended, and then a little bit of vegetable oil, and then some fortifications, some, some vitamins and some minerals, right? However, when I go over and I look at the, the nutrition facts label, I see under carbohydrates, right? It says includes seven grams added sugars. And I think from, you know, that ingredients mm -hmm. list, it's not super clear where that seven grams added sugar is coming from. Um, so where to clarify because they've gotten into some hot water legally actually over these labels before um, so to clarify where this is coming from is during the process what they do is they add enzymes to the the slurry i guess of of oats and water and all that stuff and those enzymes um essentially break down some of those more complex uh sugars into more simple sugars and I think most importantly, the enzyme that they add is called amylase. You may have heard of this before because it's in your saliva. It's called salivary amylase. And that's part of what helps to break down food before it even reaches your stomach. And that's that's a chemical method of breaking down that food. Mm -hmm. um, so this added sugar is really coming from the oats that's broken down into a simple sugar. But when you taste starch, it doesn't taste sweet versus when you taste these simpler sugars, it tastes sweeter. And so is that bad? Is that good? I mean, it sort of varies. The, the reason that they've legally had to say that this is added sugar is because when you have a simple sugar, it hits your bloodstream faster. Um, and so when you have more complex sugars, it takes longer to break down and it's sort of a, a more sustained release of energy. And you don't have that burst of energy and that crash afterwards. It also, most importantly, makes you feel full for longer. So a lot of mm -hmm. the time when you have a lot of those simple sugars, you will feel hungry right away and you'll continue to keep eating, which is not a good thing. Um, so that's kind of what's going on here. And then also um, slight offside to mention the low uric acid rapeseed oil, which is just vegetable oil. It's a small amount that's put into the uh, the milk to make it creamier. And if you look at barista blend versions or versions that they're using in probably your local coffee shop, it has a higher proportion of this uh, vegetable oil in the milk. And so those two main things, the use of amylase and the added oil are the two main things that will contribute to the difference in taste, flavor, texture of homemade oat milk versus commercially available oat milk or just alternative milks in general. It's not just oat milk that they use amylase in.
Yeah. And thank you for, for breaking that down, Reed, because I think it really kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier in the show and that, right, we have to be mindful of these products, the way that they are produced. Um, and so not even just looking at, let's say, oat milk as a category, right, but further looking at the manufacturing or trying to get as best you can an idea of how um, a manufacturer is producing right, these particular products um, that can factor in your decisions as far as what you, you know, what you consume, right? Because um, when we look at that, uh, uh, and, you know, as far as the added sugars, right, for instance, um, and sort of why it had to be broken down, or at least that definition of this being an added sugar, right? Yes, because as we know, added sugars, especially in other beverages, if you want to just talk about juices, right? Um, and we know how those can spike people's blood sugar, you know, over time, especially with heavy consumption lead to um, things like diabetes type states, right? Um, or at least, you know, pre-diabetes or ultimately insulin resistance leading to things like type two diabetes. We have to be mindful of those or obesity um, with the consumption of, right, added sugars anywhere in the diet. Um, so being mindful of that and knowing how to interpret these nutrition facts, looking at the ingredients profile, um, that really goes back to really what we were saying earlier in that we have to be, you know, cognizant of, um, of how these products are produced, um, in order to make the most informed choices. Um, so that's dope. I mean, I'll just go back to say, like I said, I, I didn't know, um, you could make your own, <laughs> which is awesome, but, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't know, man, maybe it's worth the experiment, you know? It's uh, definitely a convenience factor I think... involved in just purchasing it <laughs> off the shelf and not having to add, get the right yeah. amount of grapeseed oil and uh, the amount of, you know, sodium that goes in there. All these, it's a, a balancing act, act I imagine. Um, but yeah, definitely we got to be mindful of that. And I think one of the, the best applications for these homemade milks that aren't as sweet and aren't as, you know, full and, and creamy would be an application for milk. So like a smoothie or something, or if you're mm. putting sugary cereal into your milk, that cereal is going to flavor the milk anyway. Um, so something like that, I think would be, if that's the kind of thing you use milk for mostly, if you don't really drink milk straight and you tend to make smoothies with it, then that could be a good application. Also, if you're somebody who's interested in, you know, the environment and, you know, saving it and <laughs> keeping it and producing you know, less, uh, less pollution, the most environmentally friendly method of, of milk, regardless of what it is, would be making your own at home because you're saving on all that shipping on all that packaging. You're not dealing mm. with all that stuff. So all that waste that's, that's accumulated during that process of packaging and shipping across the country or wherever it's being produced, um, can be very wasteful. So that would be the most environmentally friendly form of milk. But while we're on the topic, um, the least environmentally friendly form of milk would be dairy milk. You know, um, there's been a scientific analysis that showed that cows are worse than any other form of milk production, including almond milk, uh, because they produce so much methane. They, uh, they take a lot of food to grow to size, and then they have to be constantly, you know, milked and pregnant and, there's a lot of hormones and, and other things that go into the process. Um, second least environmentally friendly would be almond milk. And that's because almond trees require a lot of water to grow. And they're mostly grown in California, which, as we know, frequently experiences water shortages. And in fact, there's even a lot of programs mm -hmm. in Californian cities where they're paying farmers not to plant on, their, on certain portions of their land. They're paying farmers to not plant so that they can take the water that would have been put towards growing almonds on that land and putting it back into the city so that people can have drinking water during times of, of drought and water shortages. So um, I guess it, it really depends on where it's coming from. Um, but yeah, almonds, because of their water requirements and where they're grown, are probably the worst in terms of water consumption uh, 
Secondly would be rice milk. Um, as we know, rice paddies are flooded, so they're essentially small swamps. And when you have that standing mm -hmm. water there, you get a, uh, an environment with a lack of oxygen and a lot of the bacteria and decaying things in those, um, in those environments release a lot of methane again, which is a greenhouse gas and contributes to global warming. Same thing that's found in cow farts. Um, and then I'd, I like to, to briefly mention cashews and coconuts. Um, while not terrible for the environment, they do have harsh labor practices in the countries that they're grown in. So, um, you know, the worker labor conditions are, are not great compared to other conditions. Soy, again, like we mentioned, is really high in protein, so it can be a really good option. And it can be environmentally friendly to grow. However, the way it's grown in most of the world is that it's grown in huge, huge amounts, mostly for animal feed. So it's, uh, it's a big monoculture, which is always pretty bad for the environment. Um, and then also a big contributor to deforestation across the world, and especially in the Amazon. Um, and then finally, we have oats, flax, hemp, hazelnut, pistachio, and pea milks are pretty good alternatives when it comes to the environment. So if you like almond milk and you like the aspect of it, hazelnut might be a good option for you because it's pretty similar in nutrient profile and taste. However, it requires less water to grow. And also, I didn't mention this before, but a lot of bees are recruited in the pollination of almond trees out in California. And there's some controversial opinions about the bee labor going on out there. Hazelnuts are wind pollinated, so they don't need bees. Um, and then pea milk, I'd like to mention it slightly briefly. It's an up and comer. I think there's only one company or two companies that are making pea milk, but it's probably the best due to its low water requirements and its ability to uh, to gather nitrogen from the atmosphere instead of needing it from fertilizer. So that's a good option as well. And from a protein standpoint, I might imagine, I mean, definitely the environmental benefits, but uh, is, pre pea pro is um, pea milk higher in protein content than some of the other milk alternatives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's comparable to soy milk in terms of protein content. Oh man, I might have to try that. But am I really going to trek down? I'm living in Manhattan too. Am I really going to trek down to like some crazy weird health food store just to find email, true story? You know? I need these things. So even me, who you know tries to be somewhat environmentally friendly in my choices. When I go mm -hmm. to the grocery store, I'll tell you, I get almond milk. And mm. all right, I'll reveal it all. I'm a little bit ashamed about my choices of alternative milk, right? To to strike it out, dairy's out of the option for me because I'm lactose intolerant. But what Got I it. usually do is, one, I buy almond milk because it's cheaper than the oat milk at my grocery store by about a dollar per carton. And I also get the vanilla flavored stuff that's sweetened. I love it. I use it for it. smoothies mostly. I put it in my coffee. But yeah, I mean, when it comes to, to health, I'm not choosing the best option because uh, it's just so much tastier. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. I think, <laughs> I think that's, that goes to something, though. Um, in the end... I think the, that's something that is paramount in terms of considerations, right? Because um, food, and we've made this case before in health in Harlem. Yes, we want to eat healthily. We want to, you know, put as as best we can put good things into our bodies um, to positively impact our long term health. But e eating and food should be at some points fun, right? It should be you should enjoy. Yeah your dining experiences, even your consumption of beverages. Um, and so taste is a factor, man, and taste, it cannot be ignored, right? Um, and I know we, we have different health goals. Sometimes, you know, I'll chomp down a salad with no dressing because I put something in my stomach and I know it's good for me and it'll <laughs> keep me going. But most times I think we need to, right, in order for it to be sustainable too, 
I think that's something that we need to really touch upon is that sustainability, right? You consuming something that you absolutely abhor or just don't like, you know, you can't stand it. That is not sustainable. So if you are drinking, <laughs> you know, soy milk for a certain beneficial health outcome, but you can't stand the taste of soy milk, I think you're doing yourself a disservice and you will likely fall off that bandwagon sooner or later. Um, we want something that is sustainable. So choosing something that is going to be not only healthy um, for your your goals, right? And again, we, everybody's situation is different, right? Um, so yeah, you shouldn't be doing a dairy milk, especially whole milk with the consumption of a bunch of burgers. You probably shouldn't be eating burgers every day anyway. Um, but, you know, it all goes back to sort of taking all of these things into account to make this choice as to which type of milk product you are going to consume. Um, and it certainly needs to include taste. Among other things, um, you know, one thing I like about, again, going back to the oat milk sort of decision for my family, like it mixes well with other products. So if we're making, if we're using it to bake, mm -hmm. if we are using it to make oatmeal, I know it's funny, oatmeal, oat milk and oatmeal, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> hella good. Maybe it's because of those, you know, hydrolyzed, we use Oatly. Um, I'll throw it out there. Um, but I mean, yeah, it just adds like a sweetness. Um, I think that and I don't know, I got to taste it again, dairy milk with it. Um, cause we definitely consumed, uh, in the past, right. Our oatmeal with dairy milk, but it is a sweetness where like, I don't add anything else to the oatmeal now, even my girls eat it. Right. And my, my young daughters usually got to kind of spice it up for children, um, oatmeal and things of that nature. Right. And they just, they eat it up and they love it. Um, we might even throw a couple little berries in there, you know, and, uh, um, frozen berries or blueberries or something like that. And that's it. There's nothing else that goes into milk. No honey, no other sugars. It's just the oats and oat milk. Um, and so that's, that's the reason why, right. We made that decision, but it can be different for everyone, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but, and, and really taking into account, as you said, the nutrition profiles, sort of these other, other aspects of the milk, how they mix well with other foods. Um, and you're, so the health goals and other parts of your diet, I think that's the way that we need to make the decision as to what we're pulling off the shelves in the supermarkets, or even as Reed pointed out, right? Just doing it yourself, <laughs> which is dope. That is, mm -hmm. I think uh, another thing to take into account. You talk about something that's cost effective. You talk about something that is essentially super healthy because you know exactly what you're putting in there, right? Um, as far as the salt content and the amount of sugars going in, um, all of that stuff, right? All of those things should factor into these decisions. I think very, very important. Yeah, it's interesting, man. This is a, yeah, it's a honestly, lot about milk. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Honest, honestly, the, the home making of milk is my main takeaway from this. I learned, and I think after this, this series, I'm going to be going on a bit of a, I might report back and there might be a part three. Um, Cause I think I'm going to be going Word. on a bit of an adventure in terms of making my own milk at home because uh, trying to save money, trying to make healthy mm -hmm. options. And I don't usually use milk, you know, just in a glass. I do love, you know, a, a cookie and a glass of milk like anybody else. But most of the time that I'm using milk, I'm putting it in coffee. I'm using it for baking. Um, I'm using it in a smoothie, something like that. So I think a, a homemade milk would be good for my uh, uses for it. That's what's up. I think, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to make the commitment to say we're going to try because uh, I can already see it now. <laughs> I'm trying to make the home milk and getting my daughters in involved as much fun as that would be. I can imagine, you know, uh, when I think about fun with my daughters, I also think about the mess that will be generated immediately after. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's it would true. be a very messy process. <laughs> so I might have to stick to, you know, my pre-manufactured um, habits for right now um, from the convenience standpoint and just uh, in terms of, you know, meeting all my other goals in addition to being a parent. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. I want to I wanna see how this works out, Reed. Um, so we are looking forward to that. No pressure. Uh, but I think that's cool. And ladies and gentlemen and listening audience, as we always encourage on this program, we want to be interactive. So 
we would love for you to share sort of what you've done or maybe, you know, some of the methods you've had um, if you make your own milk or something like that. Um, I would love to hear that. I really would love to hear that. Um, and the last thing I think we need, we can mention sort of on top of all of this is um, sort of the, you know, consumption of going back to the dairy um, consumption, because I think it's something that has fallen out of favor um, with the, with the production of all of these alternatives. Um, but again, there can be real health benefits that can be realized with the consumption of uh, dairy milk. Um, again, everything in moderation, of course. Um, but I think the consideration of right sort of direct to consumer, the most direct to consumer you can get, which is, you know, going mm -hmm. to your local farm, um, to, to obtain milk now a little bit controversial, um, especially when we talk about raw milk, right? Unpasteurized milk, um, mm -hmm. uh, definitely want to be careful with that. There are sort of CDC advisories and guidance, right? And a lot of, a lot of our regulatory agencies dissuading that. Um, because those products can be unpasteurized, which can um, increase your exposure to foodborne illnesses. Um, so we want to keep that in mind. But there are producers that that do, right, to a certain extent, pasteurize or, um, you know, basically try their best to make the product safer um, in terms of removal of foodborne illnesses, um, you know, microbes. Uh, things like that, that can be harmful um, and dangerous. And so seeking those out, because I think that's, that's another um, alternative in terms of consuming dairy. We, we said, you know, it's a heavily industrialized um, uh, mm -hmm. product and maybe turning to some of these local producers, especially from the environmental standpoint, um, but even in terms of cost savings and health benefits, um, it might be reasonable to look into what is available locally as far as um, local producers of these products. Um, that's the one thing I think we can also consider, right, as we make these decisions. Um, really going back to the old school, like, you know, the way it used to be. It would come from the farm, it went to the milkman, and the milkman brought it to the door, you know. And I think yeah. that's an alternative as well as far as, in, you know, as compared to just going to the supermarket and pulling this stuff off the shelf, um, you know, and and some of these places will probably take you right into how their milk is sort of processed, how they pasteurize it um, in those places, how it's produced. Um, this way, there's more transparency, and you kind of know exactly what's going on. Yeah, and yeah. lastly, I just wanted to mention, I don't think we showed yogurt enough love on the show. Yogurt mm. is probably one of the best uh, dairy products in terms of health. Um, and obviously, like anything, there's a lot of subcategories of yogurts. There's those creamy flavored yogurts that I used to eat when I was a kid. There's gogurt, those gogurt tubes. That's yes. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the healthy stuff. Again, I know the Greek yogurt, the Swedish yogurt, the skier, that kind of stuff. Um, that's the yogurt that is really, really good for you. Um, and you can flavor it with all sorts of stuff. You can eat it with granola. You can put it in your oatmeal, top it off with some berries, that kind of stuff. Um, so when it talks to, when we're talking about the nutrition and how nothing can beat the nutrition of dairy, I'd include yo yogurt up in there. Yes. Especially for lactose intolerant. I think maybe that's probably the lens you're speaking mm -hmm. from too, um, right. In terms of personal yeah. experience to read, um, being lactose intolerant, it is, you know, the lactose um, it's sort of broken down due to the the organisms, the probiotic organisms that are in the lactobacillus naturally, right? And so, yes, exactly. They literally break it down um, so that it is, you know, much easier to consume for those that are lactose intolerant. So, if you are that person that is, hey, I want to get the benefits of dairy milk, um, as Reed said, from a caloric standpoint, the protein. Um, even some of the vitamins and minerals that are present, then that that might be the way to go, and that's something that I think we need to um, consider. And of course, I guess at the at the very end of this conversation, I think it's always safe to say that all of these things 
done in moderation, right? Um, you know, when we, we talked about last week, sort of the the guidelines um, from the the you know ADA, the American Department of Agriculture, and sort of the amount of milk that is recommended to be consumed. Um, and I think the consensus on this program, and even from some experts um, in the field of nutrition, um, say that that might be too much, right? And I think it's really just one of those general recommendations that we kind of touch upon on each and every show is that everything in moderation, right? So the three glasses, three eight ounce glasses a day, maybe one will suffice. Maybe not even every day of the week, right? Everything in moderation. Um, I think that is a general rule of thumb um, that will contribute to, and, and I'm talking about not even just dairy milks, but across all food, all foods, right? Everything sort of in moderation. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to go crazy on anything, fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables, <laughs> I think those are the <laughs> safest recommendations we can make as far as generalized recommendations. But again, it all comes down to, um, right? So, sort of what we are doing in our day-to-day -day lives and lifestyles that will really inform these decisions. So that's it, man. I, I, I learned a lot from this program. Thank you so much, Reed. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I really am looking forward to going forward and sort of sharing with you all as far as, you know, what we're seeing in development um, with some of these products, especially a lot of these things being so new to the markets, right? There's not a lot of information as far as the health mm -hmm. outcomes, like what, this really means as far as a consumption of oat milk on like a daily basis, because we really are daily consumers of that stuff. Right. So that's something I got to be on the lookout for my personal health and for my family is like, what, what does the data show? Right. As far as consuming these products and whether there might be changes that need to be made on our part, that's something that we ought to be on the lookout for um, in general with all of these things. But yeah, man, thank you Reed for joining me on this program, brother. Always. Yeah. No, this was fun, man. And ladies and gentlemen, the listening audience, um, as we close out the program, again, we invite you to share your experiences, to share your questions. Um, I'm pretty sure there should be a lot of questions, I think, from, although I think we probably addressed some things and, and definitely enlightened, I'm hoping that we enlightened you all um, in this conversation, but questions you have, right, please throw them at us um, because we want to address those. Um, on future programs, who knows, maybe we do need a part three of this uh, segment, right? A part three talking about milk because we know how vital a component it is in our diets. And so maybe we do need to, but we need your information. We need your feedback to, to guide us in terms of um, how we go forward uh, with regard to this topic and others when it comes to our nutrition and health. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we thank you for tuning into the program. And the only thing we ask of you, right, you haven't heard an ad on this program the entire time. <laughs> so that's something we take pride in. We're not trying to sell you anything. Again, my being a proponent of oat milk is not a, a sell sell you oat milk um, proposition. The only thing we ask of you, though, is that you share the information that you learn on this program with anyone that will listen. Because the goal of help in Harlem is to really give information out there, put information out there that allows us all to make decisions that will contribute to right, good health outcomes as we go forward. That's the only thing we ask. Um, share with anyone that will listen. Uh, also, we will include in the program links to um, the sources that we reference for this show um, and the first segment of this show. And that is it. I also want to give a shout out to the rest of the Health in Harlem team. Um, so Giorgio, Anastasia, Michael Holmes, um, just want to shout you all out. want to shout out WHDR and of course the leadership there, Angela Hart, general manager, Tina Dixon, the production manager. We could not have such a wonderful program without, you know, them at the helm, sort of running things at the top, um, at the station, making sure we are on air. And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas, Harlem. Take care of yourself. Thank you.